From the American Thoracic Society Sleep and Respiratory Neurobiology Assembly, I am Naomi Shah. I'm going to be moderating this podcast where we're going to be talking about sleep and physician burnout. I'm going to be interviewing three different uh, experts in this area, Dr. Sakshi Dua, Dr. Najib Bayas, and Dr. David Ghazal. I begin by interviewing Dr. Sakshi Dua, who's the program director for the Fellowship in Pulmonary and Critical Care at Sinai. She's also recently named the director of GME Wellness Champions for Trainees at Mount Sinai in New York City. She begins by defining wellness for us. So the way I would look at wellness is wellness is not the absence of burnout. So for example, we all know the definition of burnout is, you know, this triad of emotional exhaustion, a feeling of depersonalization, and a decreased sense of personal accomplishment. So the way I look at wellness is not that there is an absence of burnout. The wellness, in short, should be, I'm not here just to survive my workday, I'm here to thrive in my workday. Dr. Dua has received a grant from the Physicians Foundation to study wellness in faculty, and she comments on that grant and its purpose. What's really interesting about Mount Sinai is it's ahead in its trainee wellness programs where we've been really, the Graduate Medical Education Office has been really driving trainee wellness and well-being program, wellness champions, etc. However, you must have noticed yourself, the more we try to protect our trainees as faculty, the faculty take on more and more role of trying to shield the trainees from clerical burden or work compression or work intensity. So this specific grant is really designed to champion faculty wellness within programs, and it has dispersed some you know, funding to initiate, study, and qu- quantify the amount of uh, faculty wellness in individual programs. So, you know, of course, I'm a sleep physician, and of course, this is a podcast we're doing for the American Thoracic Society Sleep and Respiratory Neurobiology, and so our focus is really sleep. And we've been talking now for about a few minutes, and we haven't really heard the word sleep. And, and one of my major you know, reasons for doing this podcast is to highlight not only the lack of sleep, but also the lack of emphasis on sleep as um, you know, a determinant of physician wellness. So what I wanted to understand from you and your experience and what you plan to do in the future to improve physician wellness is, you know, is sleep a part of wellness, and how often is it emphasized within GME programs locally or nationally? And what can you contribute to improving sleep or highlighting sleep or emphasizing sleep? And by sleep, I mean sleep deprivation is one area, but also sleep disorders is another area. So how do you see that um, evolving, and, and where is the, you know, does sleep have a place currently in wellness? Such an interesting question because when you look at wellness literature, and I've done a lot of reading in the literature that's been published on physician wellness and physician burnout, sleep actually doesn't make that much of a a kind of presence in all this literature. So, for example, the biggest authorities on physician wellness, when they write their articles, there's very little mentioned about either sleep duration, sleep quality, sleep deprivation as a driver of physician burnout or uh, contributing to non-wellness. It's very interesting because intuitively what would make sense is 
it's nutrition, sleep, and habits that would really contribute to your general health, and general health would contribute to wellness. So intuitively, even though it makes sense, when you look at the literature, there is not that much about whether this sleep itself is a driver of physician burnout. What's really interesting is if you look at trainee literature, you'll find a little more in PubMed, in articles regarding strategies for wellness and, say, emergency room residency training programs because the ER works on shifts. And we all know that one of the drivers of burnout can be shift work. So working nights can increase burnout and also sleep deprivation related to work intensity. So the more weekends you're working or the longer hours you're working will lead to physician burnout. So although sleep is kind of recognized as a driver of physician burnout, there's not as much available data-wise as to sleep duration or sleep quality as a driver and what intervention can be performed there. As you know, the ACGME recently scaled back on their duty hours so that as of July 2017, instead of that 16-hour shift, they reverted back to interns being allowed to work a 24-hour shift because they realized that by restricting all the duty hours, Actually, we were not budging the needle at all in resident education and wellness. So the residents did not perceive improved education or wellness by restricting their duty hours. So now we've reverted back to the 24-hour shift for interns, for example. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because when I was looking at the literature, I, you know, in a lot of the articles that I pulled up on physician burnout, you know, I mean, if you just search the term sleep, there is, there's either a complete absence of the mention of sleep or just literally a mention of sleep as yes, a if you look at Right. So if you look at all the authorities in the physician wellness literature, literally when you scan their articles, the word sleep barely makes an appearance. Next, we will be talking to Dr. Najib Ayas. I'm Dr. Najib Ayas. I work in the Sleep Disorders Program at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, B.C., or one of my expertise is, is the um, impact of resident work hours on occupational and patient safety, as well as the public health implications of uh, chronic sleep deprivation as well as obstructive sleep apnea. So, Dr. Ayas, thank you so much for joining us today for this podcast. Um, we appreciate your time. And um, I just wanted to start off by asking you to help us understand how common sleep deprivation is among physicians. I know you've done um, work on physicians in training and how that impacts um, their performance and how sleep deprivation specifically affects those in training. So can you help us understand how common this problem may be among physicians in general, but specifically those in training? Well, I think that it's very clear that sleep deprivation is a problem for all adults, especially in the uh, Western world. Uh, very few people actually uh, obtain the recommended eight hours of sleep per night, and many individuals you know, sleep uh, six to seven hours. Um, although I don't have any hard data for you, I think anecdotally, I think it's clear that physicians likely uh, work more hours and likely sleep less hours on average than the uh, regular adult individual, especially for certain specialties which rely a lot on uh, shift working, such as emergency medicine or critical care or specialties where there's, which involves a lot of on-call shifts in the uh, hospital. In addition, I think it's very clear that I, I would argue that for physicians in training, other than very few um, examples of, of, of certain specialties probably all experience fairly substantial sleep deprivation and fatigue. And I think that we need to make the point that it's not only 
just the actual amount of sleep. It's because of these long work shifts that they do often in the middle of the night that really disrupt the pattern of sleep as well. So even though people may be getting sleep, sometimes it's at inopportune times, such as in the daytime, which wouldn't be ideal from the circadian rhythm standpoint as well. And I think it's very clear from the data that's been done many, many years ago that, that I was involved in and which has continued that sleep deprivation still does continue to be a problem despite you know, efforts to reduce work hours or, or duty hour limits uh, as well. Do you think that we're talking about sleep deprivation among physicians enough, and um, especially among those that are not in training? Well, I, I don't. I, I think that um, that we are talking about it a lot more than we did even you know 15 or 20 years ago. I think that 20 years ago we never talked about this at all. I remember uh, again when I was in training, I don't think we talked about sleep at all. And in fact, uh, you know, when individuals would would talk about sleep, it was almost as as a sign of uh, strength or weakness. That is, for individuals who would fall asleep or or couldn't hack it or and couldn't stay up all night, it was almost a sign that you know maybe you couldn't really uh, cut it as a doctor or there was something wrong with you or you chose the, the wrong profession. I think part of that was this real hero type of uh, mentality when it came to the um, uh, you know physicians uh, type of professionalism as well. I think mm-hmm. though over the last 10 to 20 years we're becoming increasing it's being increasingly recognized that fatigue can impact performance and can impact uh, patient safety as well as uh, resident safety uh, as well. We do know that there are at least a components of errors that are that are that have been done in the hospital that are due to fatigue of uh, physicians. I think that's very clear from a variety of studies. In addition, fatigue of nurses also contributes to errors in the hospital, and that's been shown in multiple studies uh, as well. Saying that, though, I think that it probably, especially from the standpoint of burnout, I don't think that we've really talked about uh, sleep as much as we should. A lot of times when I read review articles about uh, burnout, for instance, you know, there's really only a passing reference to sleep, or sometimes there's not e- even a reference to sleep at all, which I find kind of very surprising given the high prevalence of sleep deprivation in uh, in, in the medical profession. Well, that brings me to another question, which is, you know, what what are the reasons uh, for sleep deprivation among physicians? Why are physicians not sleeping enough? And I'm I'm talking about physicians, including primary care providers, who may not be working overnight shifts, you know, they may be doing more of an outpatient nine-to-five job and there's clearly, uh, you know, high burnout even in primary care providers. So can you can you touch upon potential reasons for sleep deprivation among physicians across the board? Well, I think that in general, I think the entire society is sleep deprived, and I think there are a number of reasons for that. So if we take, take, a, take a step backwards and just consider physicians as just part of the general workforce, there are a variety of factors that have really affected the amount of sleep that individuals get, and I think that the problem is probably going to end up getting worse over time as opposed to better. Saying that, though, um, every time I click on to uh, CNN, I do see some stories about sleep, so I think that they're starting to become more education about this so that maybe you know things may change over time as well. But I think there are a number of factors. I think one of the major factors is the uh, light exposure that we get throughout the uh, daytime, especially now we carry around our phones you know, all day. We use them all night. We use them before we go to sleep. And I think that even this small amount of light exposure can really um, almost fool your body into thinking it's light out when, it, when it's actually dark out. It can really affect your circadian rhythm and, and can increase the risk of uh, insomnia. And in fact, a lot of times when I have patients with insomnia, one of the major things I tell them is to really reduce their light exposure at night to prevent this from happening. I think the second thing that happens is that um, you know in Canada where I work and also probably in the United States, 
there's, it seems like there's a lot more pressure now to be more efficient and to reduce costs and to get more, more work out of individuals with less money as well. And that obviously has a big impact in terms of uh, the stress of the job as well and can in turn affect the sleep uh, as well. I think the other thing that's happening as well, so even if you know somebody is in, in primary care, uh, a lot of times uh, a lot of physicians will have family responsibilities on top of that. And I think that it's good because um, you know at this time, um, I think at least in Canada, I'm sure in the States, uh, most of the medical school graduates right now are actually um, a women as opposed to men, which is which is really good. Uh, the issue you get into, though, is that a lot of the women may have uh, you know more family responsibilities than some of the men may have, and I think that that also contributes somewhat to to um, a sleep loss as well. And I think this is especially a problem, let's say, for nurses as well. So when I talk to a lot of nurses who, let's say, work night shifts. A lot of times they'll work a night shift, then they'll go home the next day and we'll actually have to take care of the kids the next day uh, as well. And I suspect mm-hmm. that for some primary care uh, doctors, especially if they're, they're uh, mothers of, of young children, probably have kind of the same substantial responsibilities over the weekends and weekdays and, and aren't able to catch up on sleep uh, as well. I think that one of the major points that I would make about physicians in general is that I think that it's a very high-stress job in general. I think it's a very rewarding job because you are a lot of times, especially if you do respiratory and critical care, that you're really at that cusp between life and death. And I think that there are a lot of um, rewards to that from a professional standpoint and from a job satisfaction standpoint. But I think that... uh, just being in that area for a long period of time does contribute to a lot of stress. You know, there's a lot of stress from families. There's a lot of stress from financial pressures, you know, from the hospitals or, or for getting patients out or for a lack of resources as well. And I think that compounds the stress as well. I think that one of the major points I would make is that to a certain extent, I think we need to kind of take care of ourselves first, you know, sometimes as well. I'm always reminded of, you know, whenever you go onto a plane and they always say, you know, in the case of an emergency, the oxygen will fall down. And what you should do is you should grab the oxygen and put it on yourself first, you know, before taking care of other people. Because if you're incapacitated, you can't really take care of other people. I think it's the same thing here. You know, if you don't take care of yourself, but in terms of, you know, getting adequate sleep, you know, getting good nutrition, getting good exercise, meditating, and, um, you know, keeping your stress level down, I just don't see how you're going to be useful to the other people that you're really trying to get, going to try to help. Right. So what do we do about ensuring the the wellness of physicians, I guess, that are out of the training zone or training period, and really there are no major measures unless, you know, you decide to work part-time. But, of course, you know, that's not an option for most people. So I think that's really a a key gap in in my sort of, um, uh, you know, coverage of of this area is that really we're doing a really excellent job of, of, of ensuring the safety and wellness of, what, of our physicians in training. But I think that, you know, those that are immediately out of that training zone may be the most vulnerable in terms of, you know, burnout and sleep deprivation because they're entering a workforce that is really not designed for them to, A, be protected because there are no work hour limits. There are no, you know, um, specific um, uh requirements for number of hours worked or shifts worked and um, the amount of of, uh, work, you know, through EPIC or other electronic health records and documentation and and meeting the different measures uh, is just increasing their sort of um, burden. So I I really worry about uh, those coming out of training more in terms of sleep deprivation 
and um, than than I do about those in training. And I don't. I wonder if you if you concur or 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 not, or if you have any uh, well, sort of thoughts on that. Well, I think that there's um, you know the problem you get into with any health services type of intervention is there's always these downstream consequences that you don't really foresee. And the issue is, you know, as opposed to, let's say, for instance, if you give a certain drug for a certain disease, very likely if you give that drug in another setting and it's shown to work, it's probably going to work in another setting as well. For these kind of health services interventions, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. So one intervention that may work in one setting may not work in another setting because of differences in how the healthcare is organized. And I think that this falls into that category as well. On the one hand, like you might have solved one problem in terms of trainees, but you might have caused a variety of other downstream problems as well. But I kind of do agree with you in that I would argue and say that uh, especially, and again, I don't work in the States, but I think that uh, junior attendings uh, in general, when they finish training, are, are somewhat vulnerable in general, and especially in kind of academic institutions where a lot of times there's this push for, you know, not only for them to carry a fairly heavy clinical load and be excellent uh, physicians, uh, but also to be able to be productive in terms of grants or papers or those things. So all of a sudden you have this extra layer of responsibilities that they didn't have really as a fellow or as a resident uh, as Absolutely. well. I think that, yeah. yeah, and I think that there is a, a very high risk of burnout there. And again, it's one of the things we talked about before, you know, if you start to go to a system where people are doing in-house shifts so that the fellow can go home, the people that are going to be doing those, for the most part, you know, with few exceptions, are going to be the more junior individuals as opposed to the more senior individuals for Absolutely. a variety of right. reasons. And, and a lot of times it might be by choice, but a lot of times I suspect it's probably not by, by choice as well. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's a big problem. And um, I think that like everything, sometimes when you solve one problem, you just cause a bunch of other problems. Great. So, Dr. Rios, this has really been uh, a pleasure to talk to you about okay. this really important topic. I was wondering if you had any sort of key takeaway messages for our listeners uh, in terms of how sleep deprivation may impact physicians, but also how we can change this moving forward to ensure that you know sleep is addressed in terms of physician burnout symptoms. Well, you know, I, I think that um, one of the things that has to be recognized, not not only for physicians, but I think for the society, is that I think that adequate sleep should be considered one of the pillars of a healthy lifestyle. You know, just like exercise and just like nutrition and uh, reduction of stress through meditation as well. So I think it just is one of the pillars of a really uh, healthy uh, lifestyle. You know, I'm kind of surprised because a lot of times people will brag about the fact that, you know, they don't sleep a lot. And even though they don't sleep at all, they're able to function really well. But people in general don't walk around saying, oh, you know, I don't exercise at all. and Look how what great shape I'm in, you know. So it's kind of weird that we're bragging about the fact that you don't sleep. But when it comes to these other things, nobody says, oh, I eat very, very poorly and bragging about how they eat poorly and stuff as well. So I think that that mindset kind of needs to change a, a little bit, you know, going forward as well. I think that, at least in my mind, and I think that, you know, anecdotally, and I think when you talk to individuals, I think that sleep deprivation is probably a big part of the symptoms of burnout, especially in terms of exhaustion. I think that probably contributes to the uh, burnout and probably in almost like a feedback kind of loop, you know, will actually uh, worsen these kind of burnout symptoms uh, as well. So I think it is an important thing that we really need to to measure in studies going forward and and maybe come up with interventions as part of sort of a more broader intervention for burnout. But I think that 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 is a component that needs to be looked at. Next, I'm going to interview Dr. David Gazal. 
My name is David Gozal. I'm uh, currently the chair of the Department of Child Health at the University of Missouri, and I'm also the physician-in-chief for Women and Children's Hospital at uh, the Missouri University of Missouri Healthcare System. Um, my major interest uh, revolving around burnout syndrome uh, started a few years ago while I served as uh, in the executive committee of the American Thoracic Society and ultimately as president, uh, where we started realizing that uh, many of our colleagues uh, within the ATS and obviously um, additional um, healthcare professions that revolve around respiratory medicine uh, that the rates of um, burnout syndrome were inordinately high, and uh, I was witnessing very similar things um, in the context of uh, pediatric critical care medicine, uh, where the rates of uh, burnout syndrome um, were also quite high. And this coincided, of course, with uh, additional uh, societies and professional organizations uh, uh, getting a a sense that uh, an evidence that indeed burnout syndrome uh, was not an occasional phenomenon, but rather a quite uh, extensive uh, uh, occurrence uh, in the medical profession. In terms of um, sleep specifically, as it pertains to physician burnout, um, I was pleased to read um, your publication in 2016 um, with Mark Moss uh, about you know, physician burnout, specifically critical care physician burnout. Um, and I searched the term sleep, which appeared 11 times in your publication, compared to others that I have looked at, including some from the New England Journal of Medicine, where sleep was mentioned once, if and, and mostly not mentioned at all. So why is there such a problem uh, or a gap, I guess, in terms of the relevance of uh, understanding, appreciating, and uh, emphasizing sleep um, as a potential predictor physician for physician burnout? And what can we do to ensure that um, we are uh, focusing on sleep when we talk about physician burnout? So, um, well, um, the nature of the American Thoracic Society is that uh, one of the three pillars is that sleep is one of the three pillars, and sleep medicine obviously occupies a substantial proportion of our interest as, as physicians and professionals in, in our field. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise that uh, when we construct as part of a consortium of critical care societies in which I was privileged to participate with Mark Moss and others from the other um, uh, sister societies, um, it, it was important, at least for me, to make sure that uh, the pillar of sleep um, uh, in, in, from the ATS would um, certainly contribute to uh, the call to action that uh, we were trying to uh, elicit uh, from our membership and from the public in general for those who are interested in burnout. Um, but it's not just because we're interested in it. It's because sleep um, is one of the, um, uh, in a way, um, uh, culprits and also the victim of burnout syndrome. And what do I mean by that? Um, insufficient sleep is a major potentially causal. Uh, the studies are not sufficient to, to determine this, uh, but uh, uh, I think it is important to think in the concept of burnout syndrome 
that uh, insufficient sleep may actually drive or facilitate uh, in, in, in vulnerable individuals the emergence of burnout uh, as a syndrome. And what I mean by burnout, um, I think that it's an important, uh, uh, very important to define what uh, burnout syndrome is. And it's a condition of emotional exhaustion, um, depersonalization, and reduced personal sense of personal accomplishment that can be also objectively uh, occur. So it's not just the perception, but also the actual reduced performance. Uh, that occur in anybody who is really doing people work. Uh, so if you interact particularly with other people, and that is that element is uh, very critical um, as, as uh, to understand what burnout syndrome is. And so insufficient sleep is a facilitator or maybe a causal uh, mediator of um, of uh, the susceptibility to burnout syndrome. Now, once burnout syndrome occurs, um, then there is a consequence, a sleep consequence of burnout syndrome, which is a very significant difficulty. So we would call this almost insomnia-like symptoms, an hyperarousal state, inability to settle down because of worries, because of concerns, because of anxiety, because of self-depreciation, de- self that all of these of um, all of these essentially uh, set the stage for an insomnia and poor quality sleep so that both the ability to fall asleep, the ability to maintain sleep, and the structure and architecture of sleep uh, are all affected, which then leads or further instigate the concept of insufficient sleep. And now you have a vicious cycle where sleep occupies two portions of this triad in the middle uh, the daytime and obviously the burnout. Fantastic, yeah. So it seems like it's not only um, predicting or can be a predictor for physician burnout, which is you know insufficient sleep or poor sleep quality, but also is a consequence of clinical burnout, which you know makes it even more important to focus on it and prioritize sleep um, as we try to reduce physician burnout. So in terms of interventions and next steps, um, you know, maybe even a trial, a clinical trial, uh, which, you know, probably seems uh, too far-fetched, but do you think that um, we need more data to really understand how improving sleep um, duration and quality can affect or improve physician burnout? Because as you said, there's really not much in terms of evidence to be able to really understand if it's going to have a major impact on burnout. So I was wondering if you can comment on that for our listeners. So uh, several things. Um, uh, First of all, are we ready for prime time to do sleep intervention? Those are already being done in many fields where burnout is an issue, and the results are quite conclusive. So addressing through cognitive behavioral therapy issues of insomnia, the consequences of sleep, and through a per- period of um, cessation of work, there was a study that was uh, quite interesting uh, uh, from out of Sweden, the Ackerstedt group, that showed that in among individuals who had to stop working because of their burnout, um, not only were their sleep issues uh, tremendously affected, but through the process of normalizing uh, their insomnia and their sleep uh, and their sleep regularity uh, and other sleep attributes. Um, the individuals who recovered faster were those that were able to 
uh, really um, reach a much better sleep quality and quantity than those who didn't. So um, I think that there's already a little bit of a, that the reversibility of burnout syndrome may be contingent on uh, reaching a, a more optimized sleep um, as, as a whole. Now, uh, what needs to be done, and that has uh, not been done yet, is one, can adequate sleep hygiene and safeguarding of sleep prevent burnout syndrome? Uh, that's a very important question, uh, one that has not been tested yet uh, in a well-designed control uh, control trial. So I think that we the jury's still out whether indeed uh, implementing in a population that is vulnerable to burnout. Uh, we know that uh, critical care physicians, uh, for example, um, have a burnout rate of around 60%. Um, mm -hmm. We know that uh, uh, critical care nurses, uh, the rates are similar. Uh, uh, the consequences are obviously horrendous to both these individuals who really dedicate their lives to save others, but also to um, to organizations. Uh, replacing uh, these highly skilled professionals is very costly and has tremendously adverse impact on 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 the on the functioning of their units. So uh, we all would be obviously very keen on making sure that every one of our colleagues um, in the critical care unit or as pulmonologist would not uh, develop the susceptibility or would be more resistant if we could uh, do this through preservation of sleep. But the jury's still out whether that's the case or not. In other, in other uh, professions where the burnout rate is not as high, uh, there's evidence that a regular sleep routine appears to preserve um, or to reduce the rate of burnout uh, when implemented. Although, again, the studies are not as good quality as one would, would have liked. The second part is also important. As burnout uh, starts evolving, I think that attention to early detection, detection of burnout could lead to a much more um, uh, effective intervention, early, early intervention, trying to, one, normalize sleep, and two, to minimize through a variety of techniques that are in place today, to minimize the anxiety, stress, and um, that are associated with work and that affect sleep and therefore optimize sleep in the context of uh, or insomnia or reverse those symptoms while at the same time um, optimizing sleep as a, as, and regularizing sleep. And whether this would translate then to um, being able to abrogate trajectories that otherwise would come and finish as, as burnout Again, uh, those those uh, have not been done, but it seems that at least in small trials, uh, the effects are quite compelling, suggesting that indeed um, in units where burnout rates are high and um, early detection and monitoring of those symptoms in the team might be a good way to stand started interventions, additional interventions aimed at uh, optimizing sleep and preventing deterioration of this burnout and potentially reversing it. Mm -hmm. Great. That's very helpful. Um, you mentioned um, identifying, you know, early some of the sleep-associated uh, features uh, from burnout. Um, 
I don't know if in your division or if in your institution, um, if there is a way or if you have a, a system in place where you track sleep. Is that some? Is that something we should be doing in um, in divisions uh, in terms of identifying individuals that are not getting enough sleep or maybe are not getting enough quality of sleep based on their EMR activity or their Twitter activity? I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. But how do we identify individuals that are not um, getting enough sleep or are getting poor quality of sleep or may have circadian misalignment that may be predisposing them to or perpetuating their clinical burnout? Uh, that's, uh, you know, th this is a great question, but one that I'm afraid um, big brother uh, fears are going to obviously have a tremendous uh, uh, influence as to right. whether this would be realistically Im implementable. Um, mm -hmm. Some work of uh, um, a group in Israel uh, led by uh, a previous fellow of mine, Dr. Alex uh, Gilles-Hilhel, as will be presenting at ATS a very interesting work showing that uh, um, residents in um, in pediatrics and um, uh, and other disciplines, uh, internal medicine, um, um, also clearly have insufficient sleep, and that uh, their tendency. Um, uh, so several consequences are uh, associated with that. One. Um, uh, being being relatively impulsive in making decisions, but also adopting much riskier behaviors, particularly when it's chronic insufficient sleep, even though they do not, the awareness to the lack of sleepiness or to the lack of sleep is, is actually quite reduced. So I think that, um, you know, um, among professions where the very high burnout rate um, enrollment into what I would call sleep preservation initiatives that are voluntary mm -hmm. uh, might be a, a very important facet uh, in, uh, in the constellation of other interventions and initiatives, all of them uh, designed to minimize burnout. Uh, for example, we know that noise, stressful noise environments lead to disruption of sleep at night. We know that the units, uh, critical care units and hospitals, that's not necessarily very quiet uh, during the day or night. So these elements might uh, be um, uh, very propitious to, to intervention. Uh, second, um, you know, um, in starting initiatives that through, uh, through media or through uh, smartphones uh, and apps, uh, uh, inciting uh, our colleagues to uh, leave their devices advising them as to you know to uh, to the appropriate uh, behaviors to minimize screens uh, early at, at late at night minimize uh, uh, minimize the utilization of uh, alcohol or other features that can disrupt sleep all of these as good tips for wellness all of this that revolve around sleep might be another way to do this and if mm -hmm. people want to enroll on a voluntary basis to be monitored and get a score that is an individualized score that uh, gives them some idea or concept about how how their usual lives are putting them at risk, I think that that would be something that would be obviously pertain to each individual, whether they, one, want to enroll or not, and two, whether they want to then do something about it. Uh, as you know, habits are very difficult to change. Uh, if it yeah. was, nobody would be obese, and, and certainly nobody would smoke ever. So, <laughs> and yet so we see what happens, right? So, 
Um, I think that uh, changing habits, changing the way people, their lifestyles is very difficult. Uh, but nonetheless, it shouldn't prevent us from at least uh, those that are amenable to participate, to give them those options and, uh, uh, you know, and see whether through that we can learn something else that we could then, um, you know, inform others and educate others. I think that the most important part, though, and I think that many of our colleagues are not aware of, is is about them, their sleep and uh, what bad sleep or insufficient sleep uh, can can do to their lives, and I think that uh, informing them of burnout, informing them of ways to prevent burnout, burnout, the same way that we approach wellness. Uh, how do we create wellness in very highly skilled professionals that have have very stressful lives, and how sleep is another pillar of this wellness? I think that those are the elements that I think uh, need to be incorporated into an educational effort uh, uh, across the board. And I hope that we as a professional society in ATS will do what we can uh, to bring uh, these educational tools to to our uh, membership. Yeah, that's really well said. You know, having sleep as a pillar for wellness is something that I think really needs to be um, at the center, uh, especially given the lack of uh, mention of sleep in some of the papers that I looked at on burnout and wellness, uh, including some from, you know, very prominent journals. And I also really liked uh, the the term that you coined, which I don't know if you coined or if, if it exists, but it's the first time I'm hearing it, the Sleep Preservation Initiative. I really like that. And I think that can really help institutions prioritize sleep. So um, I think that's that's a great um, great segue into um, my last uh, sort of point, which was I was wondering, I mean, you've already summarized a lot, but it would, could you give our listeners maybe two key takeaway messages uh, pertaining to uh, sleep and burnout? Well, I think that the first message is a very important well. Sleep well, be well, and live well. Um, and I think that those are, you know, for all of us, our lives are important. We want to be well when we when we live it. And in order to do that, sleep comes first. Uh, not, it's not the last one, the last one that we think about. It should be the first one that we think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, um, as Dr. Alan Reshtafen at the University of Chicago once said, that if sleep did not fulfill, a, you know, a life-sustaining function, it would have been the biggest evolutionary mistake that ever took place. And I think that uh, as we think about it, uh, the fact that our Brains uh, during in embryonic life uh, generate the, the the generators of sleep well before many other organs. Uh, it tells us already quite a bit, and the fact that we sleep uh, uh, we should sleep at least a third of our lives uh, tells us that uh, sleep is really important. And so, sleep well, be well, live well. That concludes our podcast from the ATS SRN Assembly on sleep and physician burnout. We thank our listeners for their time, and we look forward to speaking with you on another podcast.